What happened next was a family controversy for years. Always jealous of this lamp. Jealous of a plastic? Jealous! Lamp? Jealous because I won. That's ridiculous. Jealous? Jealous of what? That is the ugliest lamp I have ever seen in my entire life! Now it was out. Get the glue. We're out of glue. <laughs> You use up all the glue on purpose. The old man stood quivering with fury, stammering as he tried to come up with a real crusher. All he got out was... Not a finger! Uh, those of you who have seen the movie, um, you might know how it goes. He gets the glue. He takes his lamp. It's the prize of his life. And you see him delicately putting piece after piece after piece together. And what happens? It collapses under its weight, right? Now, I think each and every one of us in this room, we have certain, um, shall we say, fix-it tools and techniques in our house, kind of like the fix-all utilities that every guy has to have in his toolbox in case something goes wrong, right? I want to show you a couple of the ones that I've come to rely on over the years and uh, see if it's something uh, similar with you. Now, let's start right off the bat with the most important. Right here, baby. Yeah? Duct tape, baby, all the way. You can fix just about anything with duct tape. I used to have this old 85 Jeep Cherokee, and uh, it was a great car, but it was like a mechanical nightmare. And I remember being at this gas station once, and antifreeze starts pouring out underneath my car. I'm like 60 miles away from home. This is not looking good. But see, I learned something. I learned something early on. You always need a roll of this in your car. Amen, guys? And so what I discovered after popping the hood is that I ruptured a hose and just a little bit of a quick pull that out there, wrap it around, hose was great, got back home, problem solved, right here, duct tape. You know, I found something else with duct tape as well. I was out doing yard work once and uh, I gashed my hand open pretty bad on a saw and um, you know, I went inside and you know, you got like that little like band-aid. You got this wound like this and you got this little like half inch by half inch little pad that you're trying to like keep this, this gaping wound closed with. And what I discovered is taking a finger, taking a hand and simply doing that is better than any bandage that a hospital can ever put on you. Are you with me? Now, uh, we've got a picture frame at our house. 
this picture frame does not stay together for reasons that defy me, but I come to town with this. Elmer's carpenter wood glue max. This stuff does wonders, but when this fails the job, I found having a thing of liquid nails laying around can stick things together that you wouldn't believe. Now, there's other things we've got, you know, wood screws and, uh, and uh, uh, other tools that we keep, but I want to share with you one more. See, go, let's go back to that Jeep that I was talking to you about a moment ago. I hit this era when I didn't want to spend any money. Well, I mean, that era was basically from the time I was eight till now. But um, <laughs> I hit this era where I didn't want to put any money into the car. And I remember I was at my dad's place. I was trying to go home, and I went to turn over the ignition. Nothing. You ever have these moments where you go to turn over the ignition, and I'm not talking like in the middle of February and a cold day. I'm talking it's like June and 78 degrees, so you know it's not your battery. Here I am. I'm stuck. I'm at this place. It's getting dark. What do I do? Give my uncle a call. He's pretty good with cars. And he goes, you know what? Ask your dad for a hammer, climb underneath, and find the starter. To which I immediately ask, what's a starter? All right. Well, he, he gives me kind of this way to trace out what it is, and he's like, just, just bang on the starter for a little bit. And I don't have like these weird flashbacks like people in the 1950s kicking the tires going, does this like actually mean, does this work? What do you mean? I'm going to go under and bang on the starter, really, this is going to do it. My uncle has been a guy who has been known to set people up. So in my mind, I'm just going, he's just trying to get me under a car banging on something. But get the hammer, go underneath, tap in this thing. All right, this feels pretty worthless. Go to turn the ignition, and what happens? Fires right up. I drive it home. I call, a, call the auto parts store, and uh, I see what the price of a starter is. And then I go down to Sears, and I see what the price of a hammer is. And this became a permanent, got a permanent place right next to the duct tape in my trunk. Now for about nine months, I drove my car by climbing underneath, giving it a little tap, and going on my way. Now, that works great in September. What I learned come November, when the weather started to get a little rainy and a little slushy, is I had to add another piece to my toolbox. It was called a tarp. And so what I would do is I would lay out the tarp, I would climb underneath, I'd bang on the starter, and I swear I got another 15,000 miles on that car with this baby right here. That was until the day that I found myself in the middle of January in rural Indiana, about 150 miles away from anyone I knew, in a town with a population of seven, and I went to bang on it, and it did nothing. So what do you do, guys, when you bang on it and it does nothing? Bang. You bang harder, exactly. So I went up and I start banging harder on it. And for the next 45 minutes, I'm watching people leave the gas station and come to the gas station, watching me climb under in three feet of snow, whacking my car, going, what is wrong with that man? Because sometimes the fix-it tools of the trade, right? Sometimes this kind of stuff can fix our problems. But would you agree that sometimes some things are broken beyond glue? 
sometimes some things are broken and shattered to a point that it will not bear up under the weight of all the fix-it techniques that we know. See, you and I here today, we're broken. And I think in that sense of brokenness, we have this innate, this innate yearning to be fixed, right? We have this innate yearning for something that the Bible will call righteousness. See, we know there is something off within our soul. There's something off between our relationship with God. We know it's, it's broken, it doesn't work right, and, and there's a yearning to have it made whole again. And I think in that pain, or maybe simply even just in that frustration of it not working right, we start pulling out all these things from our toolbox. We start pulling out all these things that we've learned, these techniques and these tricks that can kind of shore up and tape together and patch together that which feels broken. But sometimes all the tape and all the glue in the world just won't fix it. Duct tape might solve a cut on my hand, but what do I do when my son's appendix ruptures? Suddenly band-aids and duct tape aren't doing it anymore. A hammer might get my starter working, but what happens when I throw a rod? What happens when the engine seizes up and there's something more seriously broken than the quick fix? Now, last week we, we, we began looking at this and, and we looked at the danger of following our hearts as an answer to brokenness. Today I want to look at something just a little bit different here with you today. And uh, it's the idea of working really hard to fix ourselves to get right with God, to make ourselves good in his sight, and to correct all the moral and sinful junk that's deep inside of us. I, I want to share a verse with you today. Here it is. It's from Galatians chapter 5. And, uh, oh, somewhere. Give me Galatians 5. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. And uh, what I want to do is I want to invite you to read this along with me today, okay? Read it with me. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Now, Paul wrote this, and here's what Paul is talking about in the context. There's these, these group of Christians, and they're in this, this area of the world called Galatia, okay? Hence the name Galatians. And what they've done is they've begun to sense there is something broken inside of us. There's something not right, and it's a barrier to what we hope and what we want with God. And so what the Galatians did is they went about trying to fix themselves. And they said this, God has given us this standard that kind of defines what righteousness means, what it means to be good, what it means to have harmony with him, harmony with others. He's given us these laws and commands and decrees. And if we could just kind of get that right, Maybe we can fix ourselves. 
Maybe we can take that thing that we sense is innately broken deep within us and somehow get whole and fixed and right again. And it's into that context that Paul writes this. Wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Do you know what that yoke of slavery is? Trying really hard to get right with God. The yoke of slavery that Paul is talking about here is trying to do good, obey his commands, follow his laws as a way to get right with God. Now that doesn't sound too bad on the surface, doesn't it? Dare I say, doesn't it even sound like what we're supposed to be doing? And yet Paul turns around and looks square in the eyes of that, and he says, all that is is slavery. Because each of you are broken beyond the capacity of that self-fix-it kind of mentality. Last week we told you to break this rule as often as possible. Follow your heart. This week we're going to tell you something different. Break this rule as often as possible. Trying to fix yourself to get right with God by following his commands and obeying what he says. Because see, I find it has one of two effects. Go about trying to fix yourself, okay? Go about trying to fix yourself and what's innately wrong within yourself before God, and one of two things inevitably happens. One thing that I see happen a lot is that suddenly the bar starts to get lowered. Right, here's what I mean. Last week we, we, we read a verse together. You might remember it was at the end of service. And it goes like this. It's this, this like just really cool creedal statement. It comes out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it's this, this proclamation by Moses. Here's what he says. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This isn't right. We've got to say this together. I'm going to say it, then you repeat it. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Have you ever tried it? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. I mean, it sounds great. It is a standard that is second to none. But have you ever tried it. It's one simple command. The rabbis say that in the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy, there are 613 commands. And this is just one. And can you even follow one? To love the Lord your God with all your soul and all your might and all your strength. And what I've seen happen is well-meaning Christians and believers come along and they go, I want that. I mean, I know that there's something central here to what it means to be whole inside, to be whole with God, to be right with others. I want it, and so they go after it. And sometimes it starts with a really good trajectory, but something starts to happen really quick, doesn't it? You realize what an abysmal failure of a human being you are. 
And it is demoralizing, isn't it? For those of you who have had the guts to try it, you realize so quickly how frail, how weak, how broken and enable you are to even carry out one of God's commands. And it doesn't feel good. It doesn't sit right because no one wants to be broken. And so what do we do? We lower the bar. Well, maybe if I, if I pray every day and, and spend 20 minutes a day like in a quiet time with God, I'll be somehow kind of capturing the essence or the spirit of what it means to love the Lord my God with all my heart. You been there? And, but, but then you step back and you think from it, and really, 20 minutes a day in an anemic Bible study equates to love the Lord your God with all your heart? And there is this tendency, isn't there, in each of us, that when the bar is too high, when the bar is unachievable, to lower the bar. And to set up a substrata of rules that we begin to define our righteousness and our wholeness by, going, if I can at least do that, it doesn't feel quite so broken. Are you with me? But in reality, all we're doing is we're, we're setting up a veneer, a bunch of cheap plastic substitutes for the authentic, real commands of God. Now here's the other side. The other side that I've seen people wrestle with is to realize that those lesser rules, those lesser laws, they, they are nothing but a cheap plastic veneer. That God's words aren't written in plastic, they're written in stone. And stone is heavy, isn't it? And in a drive and in a sense, to live out what's written in stone, to get crushed under the weight, to just feel completely powerless and impotent to do anything about it, to stand up under it, and it breaks us into the ground like a rock. And what inevitably happens is we end up kind of walking away sad, dejected. You end up walking away from God, kind of like that rich young man. Remember when Jesus comes to him and he goes, uh, Lord, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus starts like spouting off these commands, right? And then he goes, all of these I've done since I was a boy. And then Jesus turns around and goes, ah, oh, one thing you lack. Remember this one? Sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And, and the weight of the command it breaks him. And it says he walks away sad because it's too much for him to carry. See, a Christianity based on trying really hard to find God, please God, or get right with God will inevitably lead you to a plastic Christianity or to a brokenness under the weight of stone. And all the while we miss the fact that the weight of the stone was always meant to lead us to Jesus. 
Because see, it's not our job to fix ourselves. Not only does it not our job, it's an impossibility. We, we, we just can't do it. See, that's what Jesus does. Jesus is the one who comes in, who can carry the weight of the stone that breaks our back. There's a, a passage I want to share again from Romans chapter 10. And it says this. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Now, now what's going on here? Let me read you just a little bit of context that comes from Romans chapter 10. And here's what Paul says. Just a couple of verses before he writes, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and my prayer to God is that the Israelites may be saved, that the Jews may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. They want them. They're hungry for them. But their zeal is not based in knowledge. Why? Because they did not know the righteousness that comes from God. Instead, they sought to establish their own. Sometimes the Jews of Jesus' day get a really bad rap in popular Christian circles today. I mean, after all, the Jews are the ones that uh, rejected Jesus. The Jews are the ones that were instrumental in his, in his crucifixion. The Jews were the ones who should have got it, but, but didn't. And, and, and we see this kind of antagonism set up between them and Christ and between them and the early followers of Christ. And it leaves some to get a very bad taste in their mouth for the Jewish people back then. But we've got to remember something. The Jews back then, they, they loved God. They loved God. They wanted him. They yearned for him. They, they hungered for him. There was one sect they were called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees obsessed themselves with trying to get right with God. There was an old Pharisaic saying, and made its way into the rabbinic literature later on. And it basically said this, the kingdom of God would come if for just one day all of the people of God could simply obey one command of God. Their quest for righteousness was such that they would set up elaborate rules and traditions. They would set up elaborate paths and ways of doing life in an obsessive attempt to please God, to get right with him. The command would say something like, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. They would say, we won't even use God's name, dare we risk abusing it or misusing it. Their zeal for God would put many of us to shame. But something happened and something twisted. Because they came to a place where they began to believe that they could fix themselves and their brokenness before God. And Paul breathes into that, and he says, they did not know the righteousness that comes from God, the antithesis of their brokenness. They didn't know it. Instead, they sought to establish their own, and as a result, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Try to fix yourself and suddenly there isn't room for Jesus 
to fix you. But Paul goes on and he says this, Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Do you sense a brokenness today? Do you have an acute awareness that something is not right within you? See, what the Bible says that you yearn for is righteousness. That is its answer to wholeness and to finding the wholeness from the brokenness that you sense. But the Bible's clear that that righteousness is not found in you achieving it. You try to achieve it, you end up with plastic or stone. But instead, what does it say? It says that Christ is the end of the law. Christ is the end of trying really hard to get right with God. Christ is the end of that self-fix-it mentality that says it's up to me to fix that which is within me that is broken. Christ is the end of that law so that there can be righteousness for everyone who believes that there can be a wholeness, a fixedness to everyone who believes. See, to pursue a relationship with God based upon fixing yourself and making yourself right with God is not only to trade laws for plastic laws or stone, it's to trade the living God for a plastic God. Now, this guy over here has been staring at you through an entire service now, right? And he's admittedly just a little creepy, isn't he? Uh, uh, Mark was sharing a story last night that I got to share with you today. It was absolutely fantastic. Um, so, so, so Mark Chaffee on staff, he, he, he got this for us today to use for today's message. And he has it at his house last night. And his seventh grade son sets it up in the doorway so that when his, his teenage daughter comes home from a date late last night and all the lights are out, the first thing she does is open the door and what does she see? Ah, right? You know, that kind of thing. But you know, I feel sorry for you guys standing right here because this entire time, you have been looking at this guy standing right here staring at you. But you know what? I think for a lot of people, this is a lot like God. I think a lot of us are prone to treat God as a plastic God. See, for a lot of us, we want God to be fixed. We want God to be static. We want God to be unchanging. We want God to be predictable, manipulatable. That if we do certain things, we can move his arm. Well, he doesn't have arms. We can move his legs. We can move his head. We can adjust him and position him however we want. We like to reduce God to a video game. That if we do the right sequence of button moves, we know that we will score a win. Trying to fix your brokenness and get right with God by fixing yourself is to treat God like this right here. It's to say that Christianity is nothing but a bunch of rules that you have to follow for God to love you, 
for God to be pleased with you, for God to have a relationship with you. It says Christianity is all about you, you doing the right thing to score the win. If you want that, so be it. But understand that what you want on the back end is a cheap imitation plastic God. See, God wants something so much more with you. He wants a relationship with you. And fundamentally, a relationship cannot be reduced to simply following rules, checking off the do's and avoiding the don'ts. Think about those you love most in this world. Is your relationship with them defined by a checklist you follow every day? Or is it something deeper and more organic? Is it something more alive than that? See, there is nothing in this world you can do to make God love you more. And there is nothing you can do in this world to make God love you less. Because our God is not a plastic God. And his relationship with you is not founded in you fixing yourself. Let him do that. Well, last week we started something. Um, we started this progression through Lent of trying to intentionally step into a time of, of, of repentance and fasting. The idea being, what are the things that have taken root in our hearts that we need to give up to God? And what are the things that we've begun to prize and hold on to and cherish that might need to be sacrificed to God, even if just for a time? You know, when you came in, there's these packets, and you might have seen that there's these blue slips of paper again. Now, I want to ask you a question here this morning. Where are you morally broken? Right here, right now, this day, where are you like that shattered lamp inside? And specifically, where are you morally broken that you might be trying to hold together with duct tape and glue? What plastic rules and plastic gods have you set up as you try to fix yourself? In a moment, we're going to come forward and we're going to commune. And what communion is about is a time where we say, God, I'm broken, and I don't have to hide from it anymore. I'm broken, and I don't have to try to fix it. God, I'm broken, and what I need is you. What I want to encourage you to do today as you prepare for that is to ask yourself again that question. Where am I morally broken? Jot it on that, that, that blue slip of paper. And don't fold it neatly. Crumple it in a ball like the broken, shoddy mess it is. All right? And when you come up to commune this day, take that broken piece of yourself 
give it to Jesus, would you? Stop trying to fix yourself. Let him fix you. I'm going to pray. Man's going to come forward. While I pray, I encourage you to write. God, we come. We come as broken people. Broken beyond the, the abilities of duct tape and glue. And God, we know that the tendency of our heart is to strive to fix it, to make it right. But in the quest, God, it gets too great. It gets too heavy. We realize we're shattered beyond belief. Or God, we deny it. And we set up plastic rules to follow instead, thinking that by them that we're whole, and in the process, God, we trade you for a plastic image. God, forgive us this day. Take our brokenness and come into it. Heal us. Forgive us. Restore us. Restore that which is broken in our lives. God, make it whole. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to bear the weight of those rules. Thank you for coming into our lives today. God, this we pray. Amen. Our Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. He broke it. He gave it to his disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, he took a cup and he gave thanks. And he gave it to them and he said, drink of this, all of you. This is my blood that I've spilled for you. This is my blood of a new covenant, shed for the forgiveness of all of your sins, of all of your brokenness. So come, eat, drink, and do this in remembrance of me. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the table of the Lord.
guys, you can go ahead and have a seat. Good worshiping with you today. Listen, before we, uh, we cut you loose in just a moment here, the, the ushers are going to come forward. They're going to be receiving the offerings, and they're also going to be receiving those connection cards. On the back, there's a number of things you might want to check out. Memorizing Galatians 5.1. We looked at it today. Um, make an intentional step this, this week um, in this series to burn that into your psyche, to make it one kind of with your soul. Nothing does that better than by memorizing God's Word. Check that out. We'll be in touch with you this week. Likewise, check out some of the broken groups that are forming. Um, all throughout the series of Lent, we have a series of groups that are meeting weekly to take Sunday morning topics and to go deeper with them. Find the one on there that, uh, that best fits up with your schedule. Check it off, and we will get you more info through the week on that as well. While the ushers are coming forward, guys, I want to let you know about a really cool student ministry retreat that is coming up. It is called Pause, and it is specifically for our junior high crew for six through 8th graders. It is coming on March 2nd. Take a look.
6th through 8th grade get signed. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Sixth through eighth grade, get signed up today. Do not let this pass you by. You can go to the Welcome Center. You can do it online. You can talk to Jason Weber, Ben Merwin, or any of the few staff here today, and they'll help you take that next step. Now, before we let you break today, men, pause is not the only retreat coming up. When you came in today, you may have been handed one of these. Did you get one of these? Guys, I encourage you to check it out. It is two weeks from today. It is our first ever men's retreat here at Fellowship of Faith. We've got some incredible things happening, some incredible speakers coming in, and, uh, and things planned. And uh, make sure to, uh, to go check this out today. You can talk to Craig Yoder if you want more information or details. You can sign up at the Welcome Center as well. Um, and who knows, maybe there'll be like zombie killing and uh, things like that for you too. All right, guys, God's blessings to you. Um, trade your plastic God, and we'll see you next week.